the intention and the spirit behind, I think, the transfer portal. And it's empowering our athletes. It gives yes. them choice. It's not a black or white proposition a lot of times. I'm going to go here and it's going to be great. There's a right. lot of moving parts. This is a tough emotional experience. <laughs> United Conversations for Student-Athletes, a Holinsky's Hope-powered podcast supporting the mental health of student-athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Nicholson. One of the things that happens around this time of the semester, December, finals, the semester's wrapping up, everybody's getting ready to go home, but a lot of athletes have decided that for whatever reason, maybe the university isn't a good fit or they're not fitting into the system of their sport, whatever the reason many athletes decide to transfer and enter the transfer portal. Well, it's not something that we've talked about a great deal here at United, but it definitely is something that is intersects with mental health in terms of figuring out whether you want to transfer for your mental health or, you know, that whole process comes with a lot of anxiety about the unknown. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we have Dr. Joey Case that we're going to be talking with. He's the Assistant Athletic Director of Counseling and Sports Psychology at Mississippi State Athletics. Right down the road from me, our main rivals. So that'll be fun. Before joining the staff over there at Mississippi State, he was the Director of Clinical and Sports Psychology for Western Kentucky University Athletics. So he has definitely been through a transition recently, so he can speak to the anxiety that's around transitions and the unknown. Dr. Case has over a decade of experience as a mental health professional and has worked for over seven years as a clinician administrator within uh, D1 Athletics. So this is going to be a great conversation and one that is going to be timely and important for many athletes. So let's get going with today's conversation with Dr. Joey Case. Joey, welcome to United. Hey, Jersey. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. And I'm so glad that we are able to put our rivalry differences aside. We'll put it aside for a little while. So sounds great. For sure. No, I, you know, I'm glad that we knew each other before. You, yeah. you got that. And I still I still laugh at the phone call when I when you, when news broke that I'd accept it and you called to congratulate and it was really Mississippi State. It was it was a good phone call. It was one of the first congratulatory calls I had. So well, yes, I agree. I'm glad that we knew each other beforehand. And yes, and welcome to the SEC. I can always say that. <laughs> there we go. Nice way to frame it. Yes, but I've always enjoyed our conversations and glad that we have stayed connected and everything like that. So when you know this kind of time of the semester when yes, people are wrapping up finals, but also there's so many athletes that are entering the transfer portal, mm -hmm. looking at transferring, looking at new school, new everything. I thought this would be a great conversation for us to have. No, absolutely. Especially since you recently transferred. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I got to watch that, right? So I, if there was a transfer portal for sports psychologists. Yeah, it, that actually would be great if like, you know, people had a job opening and they could just look and see who was interested, you know, <laughs> like an Indeed Sportsite.com. Yeah, yeah. It's not the way it works. But, but I, I've had that conversation this semester with a handful of our athletes here. Like, 
is, is they're talking about weighing out their choices. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I just made the move. I, I get it. And, and again, the the stress and implications for, you know, a 40 year old dad of two versus a student athlete, again, is different, different considerations. But but the principle, like, yeah, I, I've literally walked some of those shoes. I get it. So, well, yeah. And there are there are similarities, you know, and I, and I think it would be easy to hear that kind of scenario. Okay. You know, four-year-old dad of two <laughs> uprooting and moving different school, different conference, mm-hmm. different everything, but, and, and say, and then there's a student athlete that is going to transfer and it's the rest of their collegiate career, or maybe even sport career and automatically from one camp to the other say, Oh, that would be even more scary, but they're both, they're both yeah. scary and exciting. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah so i i did some digging because i just wanted some numbers because i think mm. the transfer portal's so new and my oldest must have been it's been about three years right so he must have been three and my husband and i are talking in the kitchen and all of a sudden he pops his head up and he goes what the twanfa portal I was like <laughs> oh my gosh i thought we had more time <laughs> Right. <laughs> Don't need to be like, you know, handling these philosophical discussions with them <laughs> yet, but they grow up so fast. But it is when it broke, it was like this magical thing. Like, oh my gosh, how is this going to impact? It really has changed the landscape. Mm-hmm. So it did no. some digging. 2021 is where these statistics come from. Although mm-hmm. if you go there's a place on the NCAA website where you can get this information and they also have it for 2020, but that was such a bizarre year. I didn't know. Uh, yeah. COVID. And yeah. I didn't include that, but okay. So for division one, there were 2021, 6,475 plus 3,092 uh, grad transfers. Hmm. So a little less than 10,000 athletes entered the portal. So 76% of them, they transferred within the division, within division one. Okay. 22% transferred from division one to division two. Great move. 2% to division three. Again, great move. However, of those 10,000 athletes, that, that's a that's staggering a, number. I know I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. 49%. Would we call it a successful transfer? Like they were picked up, I guess. Okay. You know, 7% withdrew. Now they, that 7%, they could have withdrawn to stay at their school mm-hmm. or to not, but 7% withdrew. 43% were not picked up and they're called mm-hmm. active. Like they're still in the portal from 2021. Um, but 43%. Wow. The highest time of transfers uh, entering the portal is in March, April, May, and June. So those four months, followed by December and January. So this is the second most active time in the transfer portal. So yeah, those are just some of the numbers. And I knew it was a lot, but whew. Yeah. And I had heard from one of our analytics people here at state talking about 7,000 have gone to the portal since August 22, which is on par kind of with the same numbers yeah. that's out there. And I mean, the, the one that the one that just struck me that I had not heard before was that we're basically a coin flip, whether or not we're going to, however you want to define it, whether it's a successful or to be picked up, if that, whatever the right 
yeah. operational definition would be, but I mean, almost a coin flip, whether or not you're going to be picked up somewhere yeah. that, that's, that's staggering. Okay. Yeah. Well, and we say that, I mean, I think there are ways that, you know, it's like, well, surely somebody would pick this person up, but it is kind of like if you have a center midfielder for soccer and you're looking to transfer, uh, let's say that there's only a certain region you want to go to, or Mm -hmm. you want to stay in a certain conference or like whatever it is that's limiting that number there has to be a team that a has scholarship money available and B, I mean, if there are, there were also stats on whether they transferred aided and not aided. Like that was a question. I was going to ask that in a minute too. Cause I I've even, even in my role seen spots where a kid will go into the portal and maybe they're a partial or a full ride. Whether my last at WKU or now at state, they, they sign somewhere else, but now they're a PWO or they're a walk. There's it's some non-financial so I'm curious what the stat is there too. Yeah. So if we just narrow it down to 2021, we have 51% transferred and received athletic aid. Wow. 18% did not, which means that there's a pretty large number that got partial maybe. And then yeah. there's 10% transferred without athletic aid and 19%, they are already were not aided. So it's kind of like, are you going to get that funding? You know, is there a position? Are they looking for that? Because if they already mm-hmm. have two center midfielders they're very happy with and a utility right. player that could switch in, you know. So yeah, it's just tough. So if we look at what do you see other than just not wanting to go to Mississippi State? <laughs> what? Just kidding. I know, I know. I can't stop it. What would be some of the reasons that you're seeing? I know some of the reasons, and and I'll share some in a second, but for you, that people are thinking of transferring. You know, it's across the board. I mean, I think, you know, one one case comes to mind where I had a student athlete that they wanted to be closer to home and they wanted to play with a sibling. They knew they were going to be going down a couple levels in competition, but they were perfectly happy with that. Then actually, I believe it was two siblings. The three of them were going to be on a team together. You know, on one end of the spectrum, I think you have cases like that, which yeah. totally makes sense. Closer to family, playing with your siblings. It's It sounds like a dream scenario. And then I think moving down the spectrum or up the spectrum, you, you have everything else in between. You know, I, I think what's interesting is you look at, I believe this the NCAA study from 2021, where mental health was the number one reason cited for kids going into the portal, I believe second was playing time. Third was relationship with coach, or I might have those transversed, but you know, however, I am interested on that study. What, how are we defining mental health? Meaning is it better perceived better for their mental health to transfer or if it's whatever, whatever that is, whether it's to be closer to home, closer to family resources, access, things along those lines. I think nationwide, I think you got a lot, a couple things going on, you know, whether it's, Maybe you played with somebody on seven on seven and now you're seeing that they signed at this school with this NIL package and this opportunity. Well, I'm better than them. I know I can go do that. That that proverbial, that proverbial grass is always greener kind of mentality that, you know, we can go elsewhere and do more. But again, it's an old stats professor that I had as an undergrad like to say, you know, people lie and numbers don't. Right. And those numbers you just read off are pretty damning. 
coin flip at best that you're going to be picked up and then what 51% still receiving aid. So I, again, I think the comparisons, I, maybe it's social media pressure to, to be the next thing, the next, you know, and I worked in a mid-major school. I think we, we were starting to see some of that where it almost felt like we were a developmental program. Kids would come in and then they would have a good season, a breakout season, and then they would want to transfer up to a power five. Uh, I, I think there's a whole spectrum of reasons, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of kids in the portal right now. Yeah. Well, and okay. So it's interesting because the first reason cited for transferring was mental health. The second was playing time. The third was coach relationship. Coach relationship. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is I, I would lump those like just anecdotally from what comes into my office, I would lump those three together. Yes. Because, you know, there are a lot of people and there are a lot of people that they, they're not going to play beyond college mm-hmm. or they have aspirations to play after college and they're not getting the opportunity they um, believe that would be helpful mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons. So that's playing time and that is important to their mental health to do the thing that they love. Right. Yeah. And and when you're not playing, it's like all the work and none of the reward. And it can be really discouraging and disheartening. Mm-hmm. Then also, and it's like for some people too, it's not necessarily, I mean, a lot of it is like if I transfer to somewhere that isn't as competitive, I can play more, which is great. But also sometimes it's just a fit of a system correct? or you got beaten out at your position by somebody better, yeah. you know? And so it's like, that makes sense. But then coach relationship, I think that is incredibly uh, impactful to mental health. And there's tons of research around, you know, positive experience with coach and Mm -hmm. wellness and and well-being, sense of well-being. So they all kind of roll together. I I completely agree. Um, And and all directly impact and indirectly impact mental health. So yeah, I think you could funnel all those under one category, but because I I think when you look at what comes through our offices here, and I'm sure it's the same there, it's, it's some combination of all three, each case may be different or, but I mean, it's going to, it's going to come down to one of those three categories usually, Yeah. or you'll have again, the outliers where it's, I want to be close to family and I've got this crazy opportunity to go play with my sibling and yeah. But, but I think, and it's not always a bad thing. I mean, a lot of times agreed. it is like, Hey, this just may not be a great fit for you. You know, if you have a, a coach that has one style and that just doesn't work for you, or uh, for example, like Ole Miss, as well as Mississippi state, that, that is a, quite a culture shock if you're coming from California or New York. Right. And yeah. although we, you know, and I know you guys have too, like we've had people that just fall in love and are like, I'm never leaving the South. But uh, there are people that it's like, just that's a struggle, you know? And so that can be really difficult. And I think in the past, I I do, I do love this, you know, you can transfer, like just do it. Mm -hmm. I think it does a number of things because, you know, the transfer portals come under a lot of, you know, negative press, I guess. But I think one of the things it does do is like it, keeps athletes from having to shove the square peg into that round hole when, you know, it isn't what you thought, because I mean, kids are getting recruited at 14, 15. They don't know what they're going to be like at 18. Right. And then also I think in a lot of ways it keeps coaches honest, you know, I've, I've, I've championed that for, for several years now. I I think 
the intention and the spirit behind, I think, the transfer portal and some of the legislation is is a sports psych professional. I think we both agree with the it's empowering our athletes. It gives yes. them choice. I think it helps some of the, the power dynamics that exist between coaches and players, whether it's spoken or unspoken. A coach in that program has a ton of power on our, over our student athletes. So, but I, but I think what's happening just with these numbers that we're, we're rolling through here, I'm still kind of shocked just processing what I wrote down. In a lot of regards, it's actually this power dynamic is going right back to our coaches. Now, if it's it's a supply and demand equation at this point, if I know there's this many kids in the portal, like we just said, a lot of kids aren't getting opportunities. So again, great. The spirit, the intent is wonderful, but it's the law of unintended consequences maybe we're seeing here too. Yeah, exactly. And so I think when I think about like reasons that athletes come in, they're like, you know, I am struggling to feel seen by a coach. That's one, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually not put in that nomenclature, but, but you know, fair. yeah, just, you know, the, I'm not being given an opportunity or the coach doesn't, you know, see my believe in me or like whatever it is. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's dynamics on a team. Other times it is just like, I've just had a run of not great here and I want something different. Yeah. So, I know when they come in for me, I kind of sit down and say, okay, let's look at percentage. What of this is being driven by emotions Mm -hmm. and what of this is, is objective, you know, and that could be a tough thing because (laughs) objectively I'm not playing and emotionally that's a big (laughs) deal. Right. Right. But, you know, just kind of looking at, okay. And then looking at what would need to be different. And so sorting through also the cost benefit analysis, I mean, Mm. sometimes it's like, well, I know I'm not going to be more miserable somewhere else. So it's worth the gamble. Right. Right. Because you don't, you don't ever really know how it's going to play out. And I think that's the scary bit. No, I I agree. And I think you mentioned recruiting a minute ago, especially happening at such a young age now. You know, I think we're expecting 14 to 17, 18 year olds to have this level of discernment to to know how to walk through and navigate a recruiting process and then maybe not having the skills to cope with the reality they they, they find themselves in. It, it's 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 a it's a double whammy for a lot of these kids, right? They didn't know what they signed up for now that they're here. Um, oh no, I'm not playing or, oh, and, and especially we know our athletes tying self-worth and all these things to their on the field performance. Again, I think it's a great space for sports psychology to step in, right. To help walk through some of these issues, but, but no, I, I, I agree with you. Let's try to, let's try to make this objective. Let's look at where the data is, which is, then they'll come back with, well, I'm not playing. Well, okay. Uh, I'm a CBT act guy. So usually I will try to tap into values and try to get some deeper meaning and try to try to push in that direction a little bit because, and, and I think I feel like a, a conversation almost like a plaque in my office or something with this, that making sure that we're running to something, not from something that, that, Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. That let's follow your values and let's, if you're running to this opportunity to be with your siblings and play with them and that fit, that fits a value system. That's amazing. If we're running from a situation that we don't know how to navigate, whether it's how to communicate with a coach, how to, process and cope with fail perceived failure or coping with threats to our ego that may I'm not good. That's because I'm I'm a horrible person because I'm not playing or I don't deserve to eat because I'm not playing. I think that's a space we can definitely walk through and provide some coping skills and some insight, hopefully anyway. Yeah, I I do want to put in a plug for when that 
that thought comes up like, oh, you know, I think maybe I should just transfer. Mm-hmm. I think the sports psych office is a great place to even if 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 like the school doesn't have that as a re- in-house resource, like finding and maybe it is a friend or a family friend, but somebody that can be more objective can be because your parents, you know, it's like, yeah, move closer to home. But, mm-hmm. you know, being able to run through that, even if it's like an off-campus counselor for a couple of meetings, because yeah. having that person that's not super emotionally invested we and I, I would say this about anybody that gets a job like ours. We care about the student athlete. I'm not working for the coach. I'm not working. You know, I my job is to help the student athlete be as successful and emotionally mm-hmm. well as they want to be. So it is not it. It does not offend me. And, and I, you know, of course, I mean, I grew up an Ole Miss fan, I'm an old, like all that kind of stuff. I think it's, it is a, an amazing place to work and live and be for me, but I am very capable of sitting with somebody and hearing the experiences they've had that are negative, the um, ways that it does not fit the way, you know, not everybody can live in a tiny town that doesn't have a target, like fair enough. (laughs) Although it has saved me tons of money. So I just kind of look at it like that. But, you know, my job is to help you know what's right for you. And also, this is the other kicker of our job. And the other part of our job is that it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So it is scary to go over to compliance sometimes, even though Mm. most of the time that doesn't go anywhere. But if your coach found out you were thinking about it and, you know, so... Yeah, we keep things confidential by law. So we have to. And, you know, and and I think we are in this, you've been in this space longer than me and I, but I I see the same dynamic. I think we, we have a very unique role within athletics. I feel like we got, we have one foot in the culture and one foot out in the sense Mm -hmm. that we are a part of things and loving, like, for example, you being a part of the football staff, the integration that we, I think we at state try to model that same approach and Mm -hmm. to really be a part of the culture, but also being that ally and advocate for our student athletes, because we probably are the only one who truly cannot affect whether or not they get receive a scholarship or playing time. We we don't have those same power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we should, I, and I will totally own the should statement, Albert Ellis, I will own it. We should be here to support our student athletes first and to be unapologetically student athlete first. Um, we're not a coach. We're not, it, there, there is no power dynamic that we are truly here to support and, and I hope that's where our space continues to grow and evolve. I really do. Yeah. I don't see it going anywhere else. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that the way college athletics is going with all the NIL, all the money, all the transfer portal, everything, if a department doesn't have mm. this space for athletes, I think it's not, it's going to be tough, right. Yeah. For the department. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is, a really great resource to be able to either find a family friend or a friend or, you know, whatever that can be objective and hear what, and and pick apart, like what you were saying, okay, you're not playing, you're not getting playing time. What is your value there? Well, my, my value is to exercise my authenticity and my authentic self. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're not getting that, no. And then, 
but then it's, you know, for others, it's like to compete and to get better and to improve. And so just picking apart some of those things to help athletes know, not necessarily like what's not working here, but what they want to work elsewhere. Right. And help develop questions for that transfer process. Because I think once, I don't know about you, I have yet to have an athlete put their name in the portal and not like have a little bit of panic. Oh, for sure. What have I done? Mm-hmm. You hear these stories where an athlete goes in the portal and then a coach recruits over them because they think they're gone and they want to come back. And now we've already recruited over you. And it's, it's a scary. And again, I think for, for any of our student athletes that have any sense of twinges at being a people pleaser or not being comfortable with conflict, um, it's a scary process. Like, yeah. even, like you said, even going to compliance and having that conversation, let alone now the, what are people saying about me or how am I perceived? And it's a very challenging process. Yeah, I think so. And because you enter the portal and, and you don't know what's going to happen. And I think there are plenty, there are plenty of athletes on the side of like, well, I know that I'll get recruited somewhere because I'm, I'm a solid addition to a team. Fair enough. And there are athletes that go in thinking that, and that's not the way it pans out. And then there are also athletes who go in and, and it's kind of, they're not sure. Well, it, it, to me, kind of reminds me of the old, um, the adolescent personal fable, I think is what it's called, but this idea that we can conceptualize that bad things could happen, but they can't happen to me. Like right. I know that you hear, I, yeah, I hear the horror stories. I hear the kids who don't get picked up and I know so-and-so and so-and-so this happened to them and they lost their scholarship. It's not going to happen to me though. That wouldn't. So I, I think that's, that, that, that theme shows up a lot in my office of no, the threat is real. It could happen to you. It's, it's not that you could be a statistic here. And it's, it's, we need to really process, like you said, back to our value system, back to what we're doing to make sure we've got at least, we, we at least we've thought through and made that we're moving towards our values, not away from them. Yeah. So this is, these are two things that I use in those moments mm-hmm. where it's like, oh my gosh, what if, right? Because not getting picked up. This is the scenario I'm, you know, I'm working with somebody that is afraid of that. The first is we know that curiosity is an anecdote to anxiety, (laughs) but how do you stay curious? It's like, well, I mean, I wonder if it's going to happen or not. Like that's the other thing that I truly believe in is that I call it the Voldemort uh, paradigm, like Harry Potter is in a world where the bad guy's Voldemort, for those of you that don't know, but like people won't say his name because they're so afraid of him, mm-hmm. which makes his power seem like just unbelievably large and, yeah. and unmanageable. And Harry's just like, who? Voldemort? You know, <laughs> and it makes it, even though he is small and, you know, not, you know, accomplished wizard or whatever it makes him seem very powerful in the movies and the books Mm -hmm. because he can say it and other people can't and so when we have a fear the more we can name it and face it and then it's like the what if becomes a well i know i know what if there's no what if because should this unlikely scenario play out here's what i would do Mm -hmm. and here's how i would want to see it and here's you know, not saying, oh, well, because I did this work, I'm not going to be upset. 
was saying, I am going to be very upset. I'm going to have some time where that is going to be tough to get over. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's the other side of it because we can handle way more than we think. I think you need to brand the Voldemort syndrome for DSM six whenever whenever we get around to that process. Oh, that, that, needs, that, yes. that needs to be that needs to be a whole thing because I, I agree though. Let's name it and shift from what ifs to what to what is. This is yeah. the scenario we're in, and how and then and then we can put some skills on board to cope through and normalize that emotional experience they're going through. Yeah, you know, and then also like when you know. The fear is I don't know what would happen if I didn't get picked up. I would be devastated. I'd never be able to go on. Like, you know, we catastrophize, but being able to say like, no, I do know it would be devastating. I know that there would be, you know, who knows, two days a week, like whatever. And it would be Mm -hmm. a huge identity crisis. Here's some actions I would take. I don't know what those are. You know, that's to work through and make a plan. But there is the other side. We don't just fall down the hole and keep falling. There's like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's getting through. And so when we know that it's something that we would survive and get through and we kind of know what actions we would take, then we can be anxiously curious and say, okay, I am in this process. We'll see where we land. Because the other piece of it is even for those that know you know, or feel very confident that they will land uh, in a program. There's so many questions there, like, okay, is it going to be a place that I enjoy? Is it going to be a better fit? Because I have very few, honestly, that come in with just very simple grass is greener. There's usually very specific things, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, are you, is it that you're flipping the coin and you know, if you end up somewhere and you're dealing with the same stuff, you know how you deal with it. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the old cliche that we, we unfortunately, whether we go in the portal or not, we're still taking our brains with us in terms of how we cope, how we process, how we relate to others. That's all going with you. And, mm-hmm. and I would see that more, more so when I worked group of five level, we would have a good number of folks come down a level and then almost go through a process of, oh, well, these, these kids are good too. It's it's mm-hmm. not this, oh, I'm coming in from SEC school. I'm going to dominate here. Well, there's talent here too. And there's a different system and a different scheme and different coaches who don't know you. And there's a lot of other variables that could affect your playing time. Um, and I mean, I can think of a handful who came to, came to where I was and ended up dropping to another lower level and then try to find their home. And it's, it's not a black or white proposition a lot of times I'm going to go here and it's going to be great there's a lot of moving parts I do think you know backing up just a a hair saying you know before committing to the portal I think it is another thing that is helpful to sort through is what of this that is kind of inspiring a move is in your control Mm, you know and and if it's you know have you tried these things to change this or that. And most of the time, no. Yeah. However, you know, that's, that is definitely a question you want to ask, like <laughs> wherever you go, there you are. So you're going to follow you. Mm-hmm. And if it's something that is, you know, okay, well, I, I just, I avoid conflict and that has not played out well, you know, or I really, really struggle to take feedback positively. Well, that's going to be a problem wherever you go. Mm-hmm. 
even if it is less so. So I think that's a helpful thing too. But are there any other tips and tools, coping strategies for that period of time right after committing to the portal and then, you know, waiting to see? Mm. Deep breathing. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, all, all, I default back to all your general self-care, whether in terms of deep breathing, but I mentioned that side, or even just the basic nutrition, exercise, rest, all, all the things to try to manage like we would with any stressful situation. Um, but I, I think conversations like this too, to normalize the emotional component yeah. of this, that, that no one's really talking about. That we, it's more of a black or white. I'll have our graphics. People make a cool graphic that says I'm in the portal and we wait for that next opportunity. Well, what about the human side of this? What about how the coping and the processing and the, the interpersonal connections and family pressure, social media pressure, like just, I think normalizing that there's a huge psychological component to this process that I think is going to be another, uh, continue to be a space, hopefully for sports psychology to fill that gap and, and at least to provide some tools for our athletes. Well, cause you got to look at this. Okay. When you're in high school and you're getting recruited, you're part of a team, you're part of a system, you're part mm-hmm. of your, you belong to something. And then you commit to a university and you go there and now you're part of something and you have your place and you belong. Mm-hmm. Well, once you, ans- you enter the portal, it's kind of this limbo where you don't belong anywhere and you're not a part of something yeah. bigger than yourself. And that that's even if it's temporary can be tough. So one of the things that I do say is, you know, I think distraction is good because, mm-hmm. you know, we normalize the emotion we, we don't run from that and we allow that to be. However, when we let our emotions drive our thoughts, then it becomes, well, okay, what if I went here? And it's like, if I get an interview here, what am I going to say? And like playing all the scenarios out can just increase that anxiety and being mm-hmm. able to say, okay, thinking is not going to help me in any way. Yeah. I'm not preparing. I'm not planning. I'm just ruminating. So I'm going to go distract myself and, mm-hmm. and do something different um, because that playing out all the scenarios is not helpful. Right. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe this is my, my act bias showing up here, but I mean, the brain is a problem solving instrument. And sometimes there is not an immediate answer to the problem of of trying to solve this situation. So yeah, distraction, diffusion skills, all, all those become vital. I think right now, you know, your brain and let's, how, what do I do? How, what can I do today? Let's get back on track and yeah. Pick up a new binge show. (laughs) That's helpful. No, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So then in the transfer portal, Let's say there's two different scenarios I kind of want to like break down briefly. The first is how do we handle not getting picked up? And then how do we handle getting picked up? So hopefully if it's a scenario where you didn't get picked up, there's a plan in place. You've worked with somebody to create a plan because Mm. that is the what if that you wanted to minimize the power of, right? So what are some things that can be helpful? Mm. No, I think it's a, it's a great question because I'm on both sides. It's, it's the old metaphor, the dog that chases a car. What do you do when you catch the car? Right. Uh, you have a plan in place of how we're going to logistically all uproot from this location, the socially new, new location, new, all everything, how, how we're going to cope. And I, I like how you framed it. We're going to have plans for the scenarios. And once we make the plans, then we go back to distraction and all the other things to, to cope. But uh, no, I think both are 
huge considerations. And I, I, I again, I come back to, all right, in this moment, we're, we're going to be in the moment and this is where it's at. Let's follow up. We have a plan. Here are our values based on what I, who, who I want to be as a person. And, and we move forward in that direction. So yeah, I think on the what's holding, if you, if you get a position, great, hopefully you've researched it and hopefully it's, it's a great fit and you've had some level of discernment and surrounded yourself with people, uh, people that can objectively give you feedback that is hopefully non-biased or as non-biased as it can be. And you've thought about what you're doing on the flip side, if you're not picked up, I think that can be a tough one, right? Because now you have to hopefully go back and tail between your legs kind of thing and hope, hope you can get back in and the good graces of the staff. And, and again, I've worked with a gamut of coaches, a lot of them who are very open, receptive to, you know, you want to test, you want to test it. That's great. We got a spot for you. We love you. On the other hand, we've seen the other side of that too. So yeah. I think normalizing it and talking about it, like, like you said, calling it out, naming it. This is a tough process. Yeah. This is not a personal character flaw in you. This is a tough emotional experience. Um, so let's call it out, name it. And, and walk through it yeah. um, versus suffering in silence, which I think is what a lot of our folks end up doing. Which is not okay. And I would like to say run through it, but walk through it is probably, trudge through yeah. it is probably more accurate, yeah. but I always try to run um, and then I fall on my face. But <laughs> so one thing that I want to say, and if there's one thing that is heard, not being picked up is not about you. Right. It's not personal you are not worthless. You yep. are not not valuable. You are enough. Yeah. And it has, it's not about you. It's not personal, but it sure as heck feels that way. It's hard, right? I mean, yeah. I, and, I, and I've tried to normalize it too with some folks of maybe this is similar to 10, 15 years in the future when you're looking for a job and maybe you're turned down. It's not a personal attack on you as a person, you are still of worth and value and intrinsically you still matter. There are so many other moving parts there. Like you mentioned, it could be a coaching fit. It could be roster management. It could be, there's any number of things. And I think it's so easy again, because our, so many of our student athletes are guilty of this. And I think we all are. My self-worth is tied to my performance. Mm-hmm. And if that school doesn't even want me now, and that's a group of five school, oh my gosh, I'm worthless. I'm horrible. All these things that are completely not true, but no, I I agree. It's not about you. There's so many other moving parts. So important. But then if you do get picked up, it is a transition. It is difficult. And I would really encourage people to be open rather than making assumptions and like, Mm -hmm. okay, you left a place where the team was toxic, let's say. And you get there and your, your body and your brain are kind of hyper alert looking Mm. for signs that it's going to happen again. Mm So you see two players on your team get into a little tiff and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, it's no better. It's like, but just being open and when those feelings come up, like then saying, just reminding yourself manually because it's not going to happen automatically. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the same place. Yeah, It's not, you know, toxic coaches is another, like I work with so many athletes that have transferred from really negative situations with a coach and it's difficult for them to not see the same thing happening. 
I, I said this once jokingly and the more I, it's like it's one of those okay it was a joke but I think there's some truth to it I, I think every athlete has a coach from somewhere in their past that still lives in their head and yeah. and it's and it's easy now all of a sudden like you said you transfer this is a great opportunity and now the coach starts reminding you of that other coach in your brain and it, it it's hard to separate of okay how much of this is my baggage and what I've been through versus what's objectively happening in front of me no you're if- exactly right yeah, if that old coach isn't paying rent, get rid of him. <laughs> you know, and I kick him out. Well. I think so. To to wrap up to one of the things that um, comes up whenever this conversation. So, if you're mid season and things aren't going well, and you're like, "Well, maybe I'll just transfer," that's an important thing to either say get on the table or off the table, mm-hmm. because if it is. If it is on the table as a possibility, it's going to be very difficult to engage in the the moment, engage in the present and work through difficulties. So going ahead and answering that question or saying, I'm going to give myself this date and hopefully it's about two weeks after the season ends. And that is the date that I will decide. I think that's really important because the emotions have died down. But the other thing that comes up invariably with this conversation is, listen, is it the right decision or is it the wrong? Am I making the right decision? And everybody's like, I don't think that's the right decision. Or I think that's the wrong decision. Like you're going to have a million people giving advice and stuff, but there is no, I'd say in most circumstances, when we come up, up, tell me if you disagree with this, when you come up on decisions for most, if there is a right decision and a wrong decision, you come to it pretty quickly. Preach. Oh, that I've had. Yeah. If you are struggling with a decision and you're trying to say, is it the right decision or wrong decision? And it is a struggle. That's probably because there's not a right or wrong decision. Right. And and, and even coming back to my story, you know, this past summer, I I have nothing but love for WKU. I'm a two-time alumni and and wrestling with some of that and then getting all the family considerations and all the and no, if there is a clear wrong choice, it's, it's obvious. And like I tell our athletes, it's in a lot of cases, you're choosing between good, good and good options here. It's mm-hmm. going to be what you make it. And it's, it's, and I, but I think it's so human of us to fall into that dichotomous black or white. It's going right. to be, it's, a, it's, a, it's the perfect choice or the worst choice. And it's going to mess my life up forever, or it's going to be the best thing that ever happened. No, it's, it's probably, if it was, if it was that obvious, you would already know. Right. They're both great options. You now make it what you need to make it. I agree with that completely. Decisions typically are only good because we make them. Yes. The right decision. So going in with an open mind, being proactive about some stuff like, hey, you get there and this is hard, but you know, I've given clients who will no longer be my client after they leave that I say, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm still going to give you homework and it's going to yeah. be, you know, you got to, you still have to shoot me a text and tell me how the homework went, even though you will not have seen me for a month. You know, three people in the first three weeks you go to coffee with or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. you know, being proactive about, you know, you wanted to go some place that felt bigger. So, you know, your assignment is to take two days in the first three weeks where you are exploring the city, right? Things like that. Being proactive, being open and saying, Mm -hmm. because if you have this, oh, was this the right decision, then your body and your brain, again, because of the way we're wired to protect ourselves, is going to be looking to prove that it was the wrong decision. So don't do that. 
100 it is the right decision once it is made yeah yep and then we make it the best and and one thing again from an act bias again probably but uh, I know with a handful, we've we've even going back to even your Voldemort scenario. We're going to name, give a name to this process of self doubt and anxiety. Mm-hmm. When give it a name and call it out when it shows up in two or three weeks. Once you're there, and I'm feeling isolated or I'm feeling lonely or oh look who's back again. It's whatever name you gave it, and it's here. We're going to call it out, and now we're going to act on it behaviorally. And like you said, we're going to explore the city. We're going to do two or three coffee shops or connect with a teammate or something. Um, to, to, to make it what it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. Confirmation bias is a thing and you're absolutely right. We will look for the negative evidence only. And that was the worst decision I ever made. And we will glorify in in all the, all the things that we left. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That part romanticize. Well, it was, it really wasn't that bad there. Right. Well, Joey, this has been really helpful and I'm really hoping that it reaches some people that, um, will feel the support. Um, because I do, I feel so much for athletes that are going through this process. It's so hard. And even just beginning with the process of, do I do it or not? Like, it's just, please reach out, please get support and find spaces where you can be human through it. You know, Absolutely. Oh, it's so awesome to talk to you always. Likewise, yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And, um, we're going to connect soon. And, uh, you know, you should come over to where, you know, the grass is actually, (laughs) I will bring my cowbell with me. No, you won't. (laughs) I'm just telling you, you won't. No, I am so glad that you're in the state. I'm so glad you're in the conference and, um, I'm so glad we're connected. I love it. Thank you so much. We will talk soon. Take care. Sounds good. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Joey Case, as well as our producer, Graham Doty, and our editor, Chelsea Battle. If you're struggling at this time, please reach out to family, friends, or licensed mental health professional in your area. Also, we want to hear from you about topics that you want to hear about. So please reach out to us at info at Let us know what would be helpful for you or your fellow athletes to hear about. Share this podcast with anyone you believe would be helped by it. Subscribe to it, rate it, and review it because that helps other athletes find the podcast. If you would like to know more about Holinsky's Hope, including how to donate to help with all that they're doing to support student-athlete mental health and reduce the stigma that surrounds mental illness, visit www.holinskyshope.org. Please take care of yourself. Please take care of others and always have hope. (laughs) 